Are we ready? Okay, let me pray for us. Father, give us uh, open hearts as we pursue your word. Help us to have humble hearts. Help us to take your word seriously. Just as if you were here physically teaching us today. Lord, help us to see the freedom and the joy that comes from your word. Um, help us to love one another well. And thank you for the Apostle Paul as he teaches us um, how to walk the ridgeline in very um, challenging situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so context. It's been a couple weeks because we had Dr. Neuheisel last week, so I'm, I'm sure you guys remember everything from two weeks ago. Uh, it's been even longer for Ken. He wasn't here two weeks ago, right? Was it last week? Maybe. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Okay, yeah. So, so just kind of get some big picture. So in chapter 5, um, Paul is dealing with a blatant, unrepentant sin in the church that the leadership and the church as a whole are doing nothing about. And so he tells them, you're arrogant in this, you're very wrong, and you need to deal with that sin, practice church discipline. Then he moves over to chapter uh, 6, and he's starting to deal with like squabbles in the church, right? He's dealing with like two Christians um, can't get along. Maybe it's a boundary dispute or, you know, they've, they've like um, offended one another. And instead of hashing that out in the church, he tells them that they, they well, he doesn't tell them, they are going to the civil magistrate and suing one another, right? And so Paul's like, that's just terrible. Don't do that, you know, uh, for lots of reasons. Because he says that, that uh, you have different goals in a civil court case. All they're trying to do is get the most out of it. Uh, you know, each side is trying to, you know, win the case. And he says when you do that, you might actually defraud your own brother. You might not make a perfect judgment, and you might actually get more than you deserve. I think of like, you know, Somebody uh, suing McDonald's for millions of dollars because it got burned on a you know, coffee or something. You know, like th that's what happens in the civil court case. And Paul's like, that's not our goal. In the church, the goal is reconciliation. The goal is you know, forgiveness and loving one another. It's repentance at times, but, but that's a whole different ballgame. And he says, you in the church, you're going to be a part of the final judgment. And I don't even know how that works out. You know, I, but we are. That's just the way it is. We as Christians are going to be a part of that final judgment. Not being judged 
but somehow active in the judgment, you know, and that's, well, he says uh, unbelievers and angels. Well, right, uh, that's, that's a good distinction, yeah. Um, so then, um, part of the reason that he doesn't want um, believers to, to actually have lawsuits with one another is he says it would be better to be defrauded than it would be to defraud someone else. And the only reason he can say that is because of what we're going to get to right here coming up. And that's going to be uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. That's where it's going to be where he's going to, um, he's going to say this big thing is happening. And because of this, you, you can actually be defrauded in the short run. Okay, so that's where we are. So we're at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And the thing I love about uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians is his theology is always uh, coming out, but it's never spoken. Like he doesn't speak his theology that much. Um, he's, he's always dealing with practical issues, and his theology is informing his practical issues. So here we are, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Do we have a mic out there? Yeah, give that to uh, Joe. You want to pass it around today? You okay with that? It's a little bit... Now, I'm just asking, the microphone is not necessarily for us to hear one another. It's really for the people on the live stream or um, recording. So um, when you try to, when you want to speak, raise your hand, and we'll get the mic to you. Uh, I mean, you can answer a yes or no question, but if you're going to say something, uh, please uh, take the time to raise your hand. So we're going to let Lee, if you don't mind, Lee, start us, read verses six, uh, chapter 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither se the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Perfect. Okay. So, um, this is such a famous verse. And it's such a helpful verse in so many different contexts. But in the context that we're, that, that Paul brings it up, it is in the call, context of lawsuits and Christians not suing, I don't know if I'm spelling that right, suing other Christians and willing to be wronged, particularly by another member of the church. Okay, so this is the context of this. So, um, now this is, I've been, I've been giving you all the context, I've been doing the talking, but now I want you to try to think, put on your thinking caps, how does the context actually help you to understand what Paul is saying? Think about this. How does the context, this lawsuits among believers, Christians not suing one another, being willing to be wrong, how does that 
how does what Paul says in 6, uh, 9 through 11, how does that actually affect the way we understand Paul's meaning? Because, you know, I'm giving you time. I'm just kind of rambling here to give you a little time to think about this. We just take it, all right, homosexuality, going to hell. Or swindler, going to hell. You know, God's going to judge you. You know, that's it. And that, I mean, it's true. That is very true. But not really what Paul's using this for. Think about this. Go ahead. All right, here we go. We've got a microphone coming to you. Thank you for raising your hand. Very good. All right. Thank you. All right. I think she's gotten us going on a, on a good first start. Other thoughts? <laughs> All right. Leanne? Leanne? So, I think I, you're adding another element here. Just okay. state it again. Um, so, right, so saying people like in, instead, right? Good. So, this, that's the very important part in this. In other words, he's saying, if you have been wronged in some way by any of these things, he starts out by idolatry or sexual morality or adulterers, but, but it's also thieves and greedy and drunkards and revilers and swindlers. You know, all these things which you might be taking someone to court for, you're so concerned that you don't get wronged. What's his point? Leanne said it well. Every one of us is going to have to stand before Jesus. And the person who is a, now this is, this is going to add to this whole, the person who is these things, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be, to be those things, that person who is those things, will they get away with it? That's the, that's the big thing, right? So you're afraid that you, somehow they're going to get away with their wrong, and, and Paul says, no, 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 no one, no one gets away with wrong. So if you're wronged in the short run, better to be wronged in the short run than to you to actually wrong them. Because God will deal with all this. Okay? What else? Keep, keep going. This context is, is it gets, there's, it's like onions. <laughs> Keeps unraveling here. Okay, so the question is, I, I'm gonna. I'm assuming you're saying, what is it? How were you like them? No, is that kind of where you're at? No. Okay. 
Okay, so there you go. Um, I am indebted to grace. So it would be better for me to actually extend grace to someone than to actually treat them like the unmerciful servant. Okay, so that's a good part of this, okay? I was going back to, you said that this was lawsuits among believers. So Mm -hmm. we're allowed to judge one another in a way that we go to a Lord and try to work it out or go to the elders and Mm -hmm. all of that. But this is also saying that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if they are, in fact, unrighteous, they're not believers, then God's going to judge them. Mm-hmm. If they are believers and you don't really know one way or another, mm-hmm. you're still supposed to, as long as they're in the church, trust church leadership. Bingo. And, and ultimately trust God. Because in the end, he will kick out the goats. And so they're either, this is this idea of is, like, you know, who are they? Are they unrighteous in their sin in Adam, or are they in Christ? Right? So that's a, so the, the, who, who are the people? And then he, he like goes to them and says, you know, you practice the same things. You did these same things. Now, uh, I'm going to let you guys, you guys are doing great. Keep going. So I, I won't, I won't, there's more, but I don't want to just tell you. So any other thoughts? Yes. Okay. So explain that a little bit more, Jim. The umbrella of sin. Right, so if if any sin is enough to take you out of the kingdom, I think that's really good. I think it's really important to understand that even things like homosexuality are put there right with being greedy. Same list, right? And I think, you know, we know from Romans 3 that Paul says, no one is righteous. No, not one. Okay? That's very good. Jim. All right. All right, you're 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 done. Okay. (laughs) Okay, how about this? Let me ask you this question. Verse eleven. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. I want you to tell me, what is Paul focusing on in the sense of them being washed, sanctified, and justified? Is he focusing on behavior at this point? That's exactly right. He's not even focused. He's not saying, it's not you were like them, but now you are perfect in all your ways. He's not saying that. 
Everything that he's saying is a aorist tense, past tense, something that occurred in the past, and now they've been washed. Who did the washing? What did the washing? The blood of Christ, the Spirit of God. You were sanctified. Remember, context of Corinthians, who does Paul say has been sanctified in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 or 1, 2? The entire church, the saints. You are saints. The very people that are taking lawsuits to one another, you're both saints in his mind until someone's kicked out of the church or God judges them as a goat. But at this point, you're a saint. So he's saying you have been sanctified. You have been holified. And he's not primarily talking about the fact that you have repaired all of your behavior. That's the way we like to take this sometimes. But that's not what he's, that's not what he's saying. Notice how he says justified. Justified is a declaration of being righteous. It has nothing to do with your behavior. And a lot of people say, well, why does he put sanctified before justified? Well, if he's talking about the transformation of your behavior, then he's got it backwards. Because justification comes before sanctification. But if he's talking about God definitively saying, John is no longer an unrighteous person, he is clean, I have washed him, and he is now a saint. That's a different thing. Are you, are you following me here? <clears throat> Paul doesn't just say, oh, but you're better than that now. He's talking about what Christ has done in their hearts. Okay? So, um, you were like them. Now, I get it that having been washed in Christ, you should be seeking to put to death all of those things. Whatever they are, you should be trying to get rid of them. <laughs> right? I mean, we shouldn't say, oh, I'm, I'm washed so I can go on being ungodly. We, Paul's already proved that with the person who is living in sin. He says, you've got to kick him out of the church. But there's a considerable amount of gray area when people are taking, having lawsuits with one another. You're, do you, are you really still counting them as washed and holy? Or are you looking at them already like they don't deserve to be in the church? Isn't that what's happening? I'm going to get my justice. And you might be actually destroying a believer through your activity who, on the process of sanctification, and I'm, there's a there's the, this act of sanctification, of God making you holy. Then there's the process of sanctification, which is what we usually think of sanctification, growing in righteousness. Well, here they are. They're they are a bad person, and God has washed them. They've justified them. They're in Christ. Well, sanctification is like this in our lives, right? And so... Because we're not all the way here yet in our sanctification, this person probably did do wrong against you. You know, they really probably did. <laughs> and, and, and he's saying, but do you really want to destroy them and treat them like an unbeliever? Someone for whom God has washed and justified. Or do you want to approach their sin with gentleness and respect and try to help them overcome their sin? You know how Jesus gets mad at the Pharisees and he says, you heap burdens on people, but you don't do anything to even lift a finger to help them in their walk with God. 
So, so this is this whole, I think the context really helps you to understand this passage. He's not just sitting up there saying, yeah, if you don't get your life right, you're going to hell. It's not what he's saying. That's like backwards of grace. Paul himself says, not that I have already been made perfect, right? But I press on to make Christ my own, the one who, who made me his own. I'm pressing on to be like Christ, but I'm not there yet, okay? And if, let's say, you have progressed farther than the other person, well, that means you should be more kind to them and more gracious and try to help them along the way. You see how there's just a different perspective. This whole lawsuit among believers is, is killing Paul because he's like, you guys are all wrestling to try to grow in Christ and you're beating each other up and tearing each other down as if that you're at the final judgment. And you're not there yet. Believe me, as pastor, you don't have to be pastoring long. Marriage problems, you know, drug problems, you know, um, anger problems, all these issues. If you wanted to make lawsuits a, a life, I mean, we could do it. We could make it happen. So, so this is, this is uh, it, it, it's like having the confidence that Jesus is not going to give anyone a pass. He has either sanctified them or he's not. He is either working to root out sin in their life or he's not. You just don't know exactly where things are right now. And you have to believe that he will deal with people. And I tell people, listen, if you come to Jesus Christ and you want to submit your heart to him, we will fight together to work out the sins in your life. And I'm telling you, sometimes saints come to me after 30 years. I know it's true in my life. You know, I'm still dealing with sin, struggling with it. But yet God's gracious in helping me to overcome it. And we need to be people that are helping each other overcome the sin, not just judging them and condemning them. All right, comments on this. All right, did we take that over to him? There you go. So the ESV says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I think the NIV talks about think of others as more highly. better than or more highly. Mm -hmm. So same idea. And from what you're saying, I'm just trying to see two levels. One level is you just don't know other people's motives and what their real mm -hmm. attitudes are in the back. Mm -hmm. Good, good. All right, Ken? I kind of look at a lot of these things. Uh, Paul is looking at the believers in an objective sense and saying, you were baptized, you were sanctified, or justified in that. And he's seeing them then and sees them as such. Mm -hmm. Not by their actions, which is what unfortunately the believers are seeing them as. They're seeing them by their actions only. And then, of course, some people come up and say, well, I was saved, so it's not my fault I did it, but I was not in Christ. They're not seeing them in Christ. They're seeing them only as their bad or their mm -hmm. That is, he, he nailed it. That is 
how are you going to view the rest of the people in the church? And this is one of the reasons why I love the Reformed view of baptism. Because baptism is pictured in you were justified, you were washed, you were sanctified in the name of Christ. That's it. But it's in baptism, it's not just the opening moment that baptism points to. Baptism points to the end. To that final judgment where you are standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and he is openly declaring you as his own at the end of time. A lot of times we call that vindication. But baptism is, is a sign of complete cleansing. At the beginning, it's, it's kind of in, in statement. But at the end, it is true. Both in, in justification, but also final glorification, you will be holy. And so your baptism really should treat you, we should treat each other according to the baptisms, unless they are so clearly demonstrating that they are unrepentant of their sin, a blatant sin, and walking away from Christ. But otherwise, you should treat them as saints. Exactly the way Paul treats the people in Corinth. They are committing bad sins, and he calls them saints. Because he believes that the grace that washed them here will get them through this process, they'll get to the end where they will be completely clean and perfect. If I could get my Baptist brothers to understand that baptism is not just about here, but it's this whole process all the way to the end, it would change the way people think about baptism. Because this makes baptism a matter of continued faith. The God who washed me at the beginning will do the washing that he has to do to get me to here. You see that? And so you're not trusting in your own ability to clean up your life. You're continuing to trust in the grace of God who washed you at the beginning. He's going to do the whole process. That's why he put his spirit inside of you. So that he could actually be, do the, the work of cleansing you and making you more like Christ. I, th I think you're right. Yep. I think as a Christian, you have to believe that if somebody wrongs you, either that wrong will be placed on the blood of Christ, just like your sins were placed on the blood of Christ, or if they're not truly saved, they will be declared unrighteous and they will spend eternity in hell. Either they will suffer for their sin or take it back to Ben or Nathan back there. Uh, they, either they will suffer for their sin because they're not in Christ, but only Christ is making that judgment, or even their sin that they committed against you has been covered by the blood of Christ. So.
Well said. It takes humility to do that. It takes a belief in the grace of God. Um, Paul is driven by this concept that every baptized member of the church is holy in Christ. And he wants to love them and he wants to build them up in Christ. When you just think about this as a standard, as a goal, not as a, as a, what you're trying to go for. If you have to confront somebody with sin, and we do have to confront people with sin, it's obvious that you have to do that in the, in the Bible. At the end of that confrontation, you have succeeded. You have reached the pinnacle. If the person feels like you care more about them than you do about yourself, that's what you're heading for. Not just taking them to court. In your, even in your mind, you don't have to take them to a civil court. You can do that in your mind, right? Feel like, and that's the, that's the accusation. Oh, you Christians think that you're above us. Okay, confront someone of their sin in such a way that at the end of that, they go, oh, it's not about you. You just, you just care about me. That's what you should be heading for. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, well, there's certain. There are certain. Um, um, how do I want to say this? Um, I'm not sure I can answer this quickly. That's why I'm trying to wrestle in here. No, it, that, that, that is a very difficult question. And um, uh, there are cases that I'm dealing with in Presbytery and, and other places that, that I'm very much in favor of the courts <laughs> being involved in that. Um, and abuse is one of those cases, you know, one of those situations. So, um, and you can't really have divorces in our country without actually having some kind of civil involvement in that. So, I mean... Now, I'm not saying that there should never be civil involvement, so you're right, but I, I can't really answer it in, in its entirety because I think it's a case-by-case -case situation and trying to, some of it has to do with the helplessness of the individual and the ongoing uh, uh, safety and pain, and you know, there's a lot of things of that nature that you have to take into consideration. Um, so, yes, and I don't think Paul would be opposed to any of that. He, he, and that's again where you you say, uh, don't let's not take this, and then and then because if you just took this this passage entirely, then you wouldn't even have chapter uh, five where he says to send someone out, right? I mean, there's got to be a ridge line at some point, and you have to make judgments. And um, but I think this chapter is just helping you to see that it shouldn't be our go-to reaction to just start judging people. Um, so. That's a great question, and maybe we could have a whole class on, on that question. I just don't know that I'm prepared to try to paint that ridge line. I mean, I do it in pastoral work. You know, there's times where you're even required as a, as a uh, pastor, I'm not really a counselor, but if I hear sexual abuse or things like that, you're required to take it to the civil authorities or you could be liable. So there's places for that. So I, and I, I, I don't think Paul would be opposed to that. So it's a great question. I just... I can answer it in detail right now. Okay. 
Are we good? Kind of. We didn't answer Lori's question, but are we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, we just, okay, Ken, this Ken's not here, so I can talk about him a little bit. Uh, Ken and I, his property goes right around mine, and, uh, and there's a, I have, I have uh, overreached, like my yard and some of my stuff goes into his property, <laughs> so he let me know that one day. Not, not, not to like create a lawsuit and tell me to get back. He's happy with what we're, we're doing, you know. Uh, but he's almost in bless his heart. I mean, Ken's great. He's like, well, maybe we should just get a surveyor out here and, and, and rewrite the line so that's you know, so the next person that comes in doesn't go, wait a minute, that's not my property, you know. And so, um, anyway, but you could see if you really were mad at people, hey, that's my property. That's your, you know, you could get into a big fight over this, and it's just one example, you know. Uh, Ken's being very gracious and kind in that situation so okay let's let's go on a little bit let's go to uh, 12 through 14 and um, uh, Mary Dunn you're here I know how much you love to read so why don't you do 12 through 14 for me Okay, so um, I agree with most commentators where they say that really Paul is starting a new topic here, that he's, he's kind of starting afresh. Remember, he's heard reports from them, and eventually he's going to get to questions from them. So he's got different things that he's dealing with, and so he's got to go through this list. And I think in verse 12, rather than trying to to like um, try to connect it too much with what came before. It's probably a relatively new topic. So I'm not saying it doesn't relate at all to what came before, but probably. All right, so let's look at verse 12. What do you think Paul means by all things are lawful for me? Hmm. All things are lawful for me. I can do homosexuality. I can do greed. I can do. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> What's that? That's my question. What, what do you mean? All things are lawful. He says all things are lawful for me. So what is he? What do you think he's getting at here? So probably a lot of ceremonial food laws, uh, those sorts of things. Not specific moral issues, which he's already condemned. And this was probably a motto that the uh, Corinthians were using. All things are lawful for me. And they were using it to justify some of their behavior. So that's probably what's happening. Um, 
it's probably, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, let's see here. Um, I can't put a good example here without stepping on too many toes. But like the Jews had a very formal way of, of like uh, living out their Christianity. Uh, much of the Old Testament ceremonial law was very restrictive, certain things they couldn't eat, things they had to do. And then Paul comes along and says, faith in Christ. And it seems like he's saying, woo-woo, throw off the, the shackles and go free and uh, do what you want. Life is doing what you want. And so Paul's trying to correct that error. People have taken their freedom into ways that are not appropriate. Okay. Okay, maybe that, okay, that's good. I, I, you might be able to help me bring it more into modern day what it would be. And that, no creed but Christ. Just, I, I just love Christ and that's it. And forget all the rules, right? Uh, it's kind of throwing off everything. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if you think of any other modern day uh, examples, that, that'd be good. Um, Among matters that are not in themselves sinful. Among matters that are not in themselves sinful. Paul is going to lay down a way to determine how, you, you know, should I do this or not? He's going to have like a, and it's not just a, a normal, moral, of course you should not steal. Right, but he's going to say, okay, but there's a lot of activity that doesn't fit into that category, uh, at least narrowly defined. So he's going to say, well, so how do you go about determining if something is right or wrong? That's his point here. And so, um, what would you say in verses 13 and 14, um, or in 12, 13, and 14, are some of the principles that Paul uses? Well, that's an example of food, but how do you determine whether food is helpful or not? I didn't get your answer. So what's, how do you determine if, if eating a specific food is good or bad? According to Paul here. Okay, all right. Use, use common sense. How do you, what it, what's your common sense informed by? This is not hard. It's in the text right there. Okay. Right. Do not be mastered by this. Is this something that's becoming central to my life that that I can't I can't even give it I can't live without it. Now you could say that about caffeine as well. Uh, <laughs> but but it's like it's become bigger. It's actually it's driving you rather than you using it. That's one principle. What else would you say? Twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Okay, it has to be lawful. Okay, so it must be lawful. That's good. Must not go against. Uh, wait a minute. Against 
clear There you go. Right. So helpful. I think you said it right on. She said, does it harm your spiritual health? Is this actually, is this behavior, this eating, whatever it is, is it, is it actually conducive? Is it helping me to grow in Christ? Or is it not? So spiritual Yeah, right, bodies, right, that's good, right. So, so let's look at verse 13 there a second. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. So this, this is another um, uh, kind of a proverb that was uh, being used, uh, and it was being abused, okay? So think about this. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. more than just stomach, you have particular tastes that you enjoy. Everybody's got their own food they like. Well, Paul is basically saying God gave you tastes to enjoy food. Okay? It's a good thing. So if, you know, Benji likes a particular type of food that I don't like, that, that's okay. It's good. You gave her and you enjoy. Okay? Food was meant for the stomach. It was meant to nourish the body and, you know, and so, um, what I think they were saying, because he goes right from food to what other sin? Sexual immorality. So just think about the argument you could make, okay? Well, if, if like, my body is made to enjoy all sorts of food, maybe my body's meant to enjoy all sorts of sexual behavior. Right? Isn't that kind of what the arguments are going today? God has made me with these desires, so therefore I need to follow these desires. I need to be able to do these things. We know that sexual immorality of all sorts was blatant in Corinth and even in the church. Right? And so the argument was like, hmm, uh, maybe I can do this. And in our day and age, I mean, you, the, the arguments that people make, well, it's actually healthy. For you to have multiple partners. Right? It's actually healthy for you to. In fact, you're, you're actually hurting yourself if you don't indulge the desires that you have within you. Right? So there's all these arguments. And I think there's an element of the same sort of thinking that's going on. Food was made for the stomach. Stomach's made for the foods. Well, maybe that applies to sex too. <clears throat> what is he, how does he counter it? He doesn't just counter it by saying sexual immorality bad. Look what he says there in verse 13. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what is sin? And it's, go, it's funny because this goes back to, it must not go against clear commands. But even here, Paul doesn't edge towards, hey, I told you this was wrong. All adultery is wrong. Uh, he's, he's, he's speaking in different terms. He's saying to them, 
not just your soul, but your body is united with Christ. Just ponder that for a minute. Not just your soul, but your body is united with Christ. Now this, you might, this imagery is, should be, to older saints it's probably very clear. To younger saints it's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Older saints, you put your body in the ground, in a grave, because you believe that your body was still united to Jesus Christ while it's lying there in the grave. And one day God will raise up that body. Now we're just kind of like, yeah, Christianity, Jesus saved my soul. Who cares about the body? No, he's, he's, basically, he's not just making an argument, is it healthy physically for you? Because your body's going to die. But he's basically saying your body belongs to Jesus just as much as your soul does. You following that? Go ahead, Ken. And that's why you had to expel that brother, right? That was in sexual immorality. It's well said. So remember, like the Greek mindset, and, and it would become Gnosticism as time goes on, is that you had soul and you had body. And that those two are really kind of separate from one another. But the biblical mindset is that God, Jesus, owns both of them. You're united to him in your soul and your body together. Bingo. Gives me joy because I I remember sitting in Dr. Kelly's classes and him just talking about your salvation was worked in the body of Christ, his physical fleshly body, and your unite your physical body is united to Christ's body, and you'd be like, what are you even talking about? You know, and and yet this is it. Your salvation was worked in the body. You have been united with Christ spiritually, but united to his physical body, so that your whole being, body and soul, belong to him. Yes, yes, excuse me. I think it may be because of the blood. Because the believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And sexual intercourse is sexual immorality. And you unite that body to one of the three persons by being united with the Holy Spirit as well. Yes. And Paul is making a huge distinction between food and sex. Okay, so a lot of times we think, oh, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, so I need to be as healthy as I possibly can be. Okay, equate that with Paul being beaten because he's preaching the gospel. If his goal was just to be physically healthy, he would not have engaged in the life that he was engaged in. Okay, Paul is concerned about the soul body together, but he, you said it right at the beginning, it's about him, is this healthy to my soul? Now, I think physical health can have some benefits. Paul even says that, you know, um, you know, being involved in gymnastics and, like, disciplining your body has some value. It's got a little value. <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking, when he says, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's not about, man, I just want to be this epitome of health. Love will require you often to not be healthy. Just think of a mother caring for their infant daughter. 
What if you said, I need to get my beauty fixed? Let the kid go, you know, let him, who cares? You wouldn't do that. Being a parent is, is like um, not healthy for you. <laughs> so, um, I've got all kinds of, Robin and I have shoulder and back issues and stuff. Why? Because we wrestle with me all the time. I could be more healthy. I didn't take care of Ginny. Now, do I try to stay healthy so I can take care of Ginny? Yes. It's not, it's, you know, again, there's that ridge line. You're not trying to be unhealthy. But I, don't, I think we take this, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, so I need to just be healthy. That's not Paul's point. That's why he's, he could say, eat what you want. The body's going to die anyway. But don't do something in such a way that it actually starts destroying your soul and your faith in Christ. That's what he's concerned about. Yes, motivation is huge. What are you doing here? Are you just living for your desires? Paul would call that sensuality. You care all about your desires, but you don't really care about the Lord. You know, yes, that's that motivation of what you're trying to live for. Is a lot of people have addictions because they're trying to find happiness and peace in the things of this world rather than in Christ. And that motivation to seek after it's, it's what we call idolatry, right? So it's not... Uh, in a lot of these issues, it's not so much the, the, the food itself um, as much as what's your motivation? What are you going for? Are you, are you trying to find all your satisfaction in this life? Or are you truly trusting in the resurrection? So, and again, this gets really hazy. Everybody's a little bit different. You know, how they practice things, how they do things in everyday life. And Paul doesn't really want us to be judging all the time other people's behavior. Sabbath example. Uh, when I, my kids were little, I, I decided to not watch football on Sunday afternoons. I could make a rule that nobody should ever watch football on Sunday afternoons. But it was healthy for me because I wanted to spend time with my kids. I wanted to use this day extra special, you know, um, all these different things. Well, I know enough of some of you guys, you, you watch football on Sunday afternoons. Have you ever seen me like condemn that so you have to you have to look at your motivations you have to see what's going on but um, at the same time you just there's a lot of nitpickiness that can happen so anyway okay but when it comes to sexual immorality it's a whole new ball game right Paul's like no 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 so let's look at verses 15 and 17 and we'll try to finish this chapter out today uh, Jimmy, you want to read for me? No, okay. Mike Starnes loves to read. You can read, Mike. I don't want to make somebody read if they don't want to. So. And know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Okay. All right. So I try to do this quickly following this, this mindset. 
food just affects the body. Comes in, goes out, just the body, da-da-da, who cares, this body's going to die, just food. Sex? Is sex just a body thing? You see his point there? His sex is, sex is, a, is, is the joining of two people into one. It's a picture of Christ, that's right. So, so they, were, they were basically saying, oh, you can do what you want in the body, no big deal, all things are lawful for me. He said, no, 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 you can't do that because certain bodily actions actually are actions against the soul. Which is what he's saying here, that, that when you join yourself to a prostitute, because there was temple prostitution going on, and, and probably, it's very interesting you think about this, Paul wants to kick out a member of the church for sleeping with his uh, stepmother and unrepentant, all the while there may be a lot of members in the church actually going to temple prostitutes. You think about that? <laughs> and he doesn't just like excommunicate the whole church at this point. It kind of gives you an idea of like, um, you know, when we talk about sin, I mean, I would, I would have put temple prostitution on that list, <laughs> but like, but he doesn't really treat that. He's trying to explain to them leading with the truth rather than just the command. He's trying to explain to them what's going on spiritually and physically when you do this so that in their mind they understand how wrong this is rather than just correcting the behavior. You become one body with her. The two will become one flesh. goes right back to creation. Um, this would be a good way to tell people there is no way to just have casual sex. Young people, why do you not sleep with people before you get married? Because it's, you're bonding with someone spiritually. There's not such a thing as casual sex, hookup sex, all that kind of stuff. It's rampant in our society. <clears throat> no, they were not. Correct, but the people who might be going to them might be members of the church. <laughs> yes, yes, and you're right. It would be a new argument to say if there was a, a Christian prostitute, although that would be hard to imagine, but yes. Um, so right, they are, they are uniting themselves not only with a woman, but they're uniting them with false gods as well. So that's very well said. All right, so um, here... All right, so in verses 18 to 20, flee from sexual immorality. Um, every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but sexual the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Ultimate thing. You get too close to the temple prostitute, you're probably going to, the strength of the temptation, you're going to give in. He says, stay away from it. Flee away from it. Get away from this. Um, because you don't want to be close to it. Uh, <clears throat> and he talks about the sexual sin as a sin against your own body. So the last couple minutes, I want you to tell me what that means. A sin against your own body. 
I may as well just ask Dave this hard thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's a fellow PCA pastor. So. <laughs> what does it mean that it's a sin against your own body? Say it again. Yep. Okay. But okay. So here's the, here's the problem with this. So like, this is what I, I'm trying to be more clear in my my uh, question. Is not every sin against your body? I mean, doesn't it all harm you when you sin? You do drugs. You do you know whatever. It's it's a sin against you. So how is this one unique? Is the question. Uh, go over here to Ken. Okay, keep going. The only other thing that I'm thinking in reference to that is when you blaspheme or speak about someone else, that's using your body as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sinful one. So I was kind of wondering if it's like I mentioned earlier, if it has more to do with the picture of Christ in the church is what sex is meant to be. So. Okay, anybody else? You guys are doing good? Go ahead, take run there. Say that again for us. Yeah, I think this gets it. My, my thinking on this is that um, as a person that's committed sexual sin in my past, um, it's like it, it dwells in you in a way that other sin doesn't. It's just, it like, it truly, and the reason why it does it is because God has made sexual pleasure to be um, uh, like a, a, a symbol, almost a, almost a sacrament, I'm not saying it's a sacrament, uh, some Catholic, but it's, it's almost like he's, this, this sexual union between a man and a, his wife is to be a picture of the sexual, uh, not sexual, sorry, of the union between Christ and his church. So it's this, it's, there's something unique and special about this. And it, and it gets down deep in your soul and it affects you in ways that most other sins do not. That's, that's the best way. I mean, there might be other explanations to this, but I just, I see it. People really wrestle even with sins that they've committed years previous. And, you know, it's just like this constant, um, regurgitation your your whole body and your your memories and all these things are just wrapped up in a, in a way that often other sins are not so that's my best explanation of it i don't know it could be better what's that yeah it's actually destroying you it's not just a sin against someone you're actually destroying something about you when it happens so very good peter father thank you for this uh, class and thank you for the thoughts of your people and Lord, uh, thanks for Paul and how he tries to work through all these things. It is, um, it, I still, as much as I study this, feel like I'm just uh, 
elementary school trying to figure out all the things that are going on inside of him as he teaches these things. But I am thankful for him. And I pray, Father, that you would make us a humble people. You would give us um, a purity of life, that we would flee the sins uh, that, that surround us and encumber us so much. Uh, but help us to love one another and to help um, one another out of sin. In Jesus' name, amen.